Hello and welcome back to the Optimizing Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Marty Kendall. On this show, we take an engineering approach and speak to the experts about the insights into weight loss, fasting and nutrition, as well as real life people about their journey of nutritional optimization. Hey, Brian, great to chat again. I'm already so good to be here. This is going to be fun. Looking forward to it. Yeah, we had a really good chat last time on your Mastering Diabetes Summit, and uh, that was really interesting. And um, we talked a lot about protein and, and satiety. And uh, then you've come out uh, with the ProFast Diet book, which is a topic close to my heart, looking at protein in um, satiety and diabetes management, a topic that uh, you know is really controversial and confused and lots of uh, you know too much protein, too much fat. We've gone through... Um, you know, fearing carbs, fearing fat. Now we're, you know, fearing protein potentially or prioritizing protein, depending on who you're li- listening to. So it'd be good to just talk through, you know, who you are firstly and then, and then why you wrote um, the Profile Diet. So a bit of background for people who don't know Brian. You're uh, fairly well known out there in the low carb sphere. So, yeah. So we're, yeah, we're, yeah. What, what's, what's... Sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say I, uh, I, you know, I, I focus in in diabetes and low carbs, a natural fit, and I've I've always been drawn to more of a low carb approach. Found Doctor, uh, you know, Bernstein years ago, and uh, then stumbled upon some of the low carb events, and it was it's like coming home, you know, going to those events. Yeah. So, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's a natural fit, and um, it works better than anything else I've done for my my patients over the years. Yeah. So you, you work one-on-one with patients as well as a fairly big online presence and summits and books and yeah. Mm-hmm. So what, what is your day-to-day, I'm interested, what does it look like? Do you <laughs> consult one-on-one most of the time and then write all these books and do the summits in, in your spare time or how does that look <laughs> right. on a day-to-day basis? Uh, well, I've got my week divided up pretty well. So I have days where I focus on writing and and interviews and uh, shooting videos and that type of thing. And I've got days that are committed to uh, client work or patient work. Uh, even on those days, I don't do that much one-on-one. I have uh, some dietitians that are trained in this type of work who who do a lot of the coaching. And so I, I usually will meet with people, uh, you know, a few times a year. And if there's a problem, uh, you mm. know, and then I do, then I do group education. So we do a, we do mm. a class every week and we do a open cool. call times several times a week where we, you know, people can call in and still talk to me, but yeah, the one-on-one is usually done by the, by the dietitians more often. Cool. Sounds like you, you got your systems dialed in and your life balance better worked out than me at the moment. <laughs> pretty pretty well, well. <laughs> It took, 20, um, yeah, so, it took 20 but, years, but yeah, yeah, almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really great to, to share it with you. So um, I'll just, the, the ProFast diet, you sent me the, the manuscript, which looks a bit like this. I'll share it on the screen, which is um, really cool. I uh, really enjoyed reading through it and uh, lots of commonalities in our approaches and our learning and our journey. Um, I suppose over the last five years, there's been a lot of, confusion in keto low carb world about protein and and whether it you know 
raises insulin and blood sugars and you should fear gluconeogenesis and minimize protein is, is a lot of the message to keep elevated ketones. So um, why did you get motivated to write a book um, prioritizing protein for people with diabetes? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, this program is a, uh, a small sliver of what I do with my patients and clients, but it's an important part. And I think it's something that we use with uh, our most motivated clients and patients, the people who really mm. want to uh, lose weight, need to lose weight, and who really want to burn more fat and reverse their mm. diabetes, or at least make a big impact on their blood sugar to be able to minimize medications, things like that. Um, and so there's a few different, I guess, methods of energy restricted diets that mm. have been studied here in the past uh, decade. One of them is uh, Roy Taylor's approach over in the UK. He's, he does the imaging, MRI imaging, mm. and showed that a, a calorie restricted eating plan, energy restricted eating plan in the range of five to seven, maybe 800 calories a day. Mm. Um, could reverse type two diabetes, uh, or at least uh, a large percentage of the of the study group was able to reverse their diabetes, uh, bring their blood sugar back to normal, even revitalize beta cell function mm. in uh, in as little as eight weeks by really yeah, burning work with that the, visceral fat. Yeah, yeah, his work with the. Um, personal fat threshold is really revolutionary sure. i think in our understanding of diabetes and how it works and that really it's your body fat that gets full and then overflows because your your sponge your body fat can't hold that extra energy it all just sort of backs up into the system into your blood stream as, as sugar and right. um, glucose and extra fat yeah we can talk more about that certainly that that was uh, i think a yeah. paper that he wrote that was sort of um an interesting theory that he had, which is sort of, uh, you know, I think proven out to be largely true, um, especially certain mm. populations like South Asian population. But, but his this particular diet he used was a liquid diet. It was like a basically like a meta fast type of, you know, drink. And I'm not a big fan of that type of thing. So I didn't yeah. I didn't want to do that with my patients. The other um, the other one that's been popularized is uh, Dr. Uh, Walter Longo who has done uh, this work on fasting mimicking diet, which is a similar type of energy range, somewhere in the range of, you know, five to seven, 800 uh, calories per day. He'll do it for four or five days at a time to stimulate autophagy and, uh, and you know, weight loss. But his main focus is cancer. Um, and he uses, mm. a, he uses a low protein model, which mm. uh, might have some... Uh, you know, might have uh, some effectiveness for cancer prevention and for reduction, that type of thing. But I think for metabolic health, it's it's really not the mm -hmm. best idea. So I like these two. Um, he's he's also shown some studies on beta cell revitalization and, and diabetes reversal. So there's a lot of research. And the more I dug into it, um, I eventually found this protein sparing modified fast, which I know you've, you've talked a bit about. Mm. Uh, this, mm. you know, this was born out in the 70s uh, from mm. two doctors who were studying parental nutrition, uh, Dr. Bistrian and Blackburn from Harvard. And uh, they 
came up with this idea of protein sparing for you know people who were very very sick in hospitals on parental nutrition and instead of giving a high glucose uh, formula which was sort of the the standard of the day they started pumping it uh, with more amino acids and protein and found that they could maintain lean body mass better mm -hmm. that way and then that sort of led into the birth of the protein sparing modified fast for uh, severely obese, morbidly obese, weight loss, and eventually for people with type two diabetes. Mm. But um, but not a lot of people know about it. It's um, yeah. it's used mainly by obesity medicine clinics as a prep for bariatric surgery. Yeah. Uh, the Cleveland Clinic uses it a little bit, um, but it's even becoming um, you know, there's, there's been a few changes in their staff and, and they're starting to sort of uh, phase it out because a, a couple of people, you know, a couple of the new uh, leaders there aren't, aren't big fans of the aggressive nature of the program. So, mm. um, so it's really being phased out and uh, wow. it's the more I studied and the more I read about this, to me, it is the optimal approach for people who really want to quickly uh, burn fat and yeah. uh, and reverse type two diabetes. So you know it yeah. tracks along with the energy restriction that these other methods do, but it maintains lean body mass, which is I think mm -hmm. critical for people with type two diabetes. Um, the last piece of it was you know our friend uh, Ted Naiman, who talks a lot about you know protein to energy ratio, mm -hmm. and um, I heard him say several times in a row that. Um, you know, if you really want to, you know, if you, if you really want to, uh, cure or reverse energy toxicity, then, you know, just focus on eating more protein and less energy. And yeah. so as, as I thought about that, I said, well, this is the, you know, this is sort of the perfect, uh, eating plan to accomplish that in an mm -hmm. aggressive, quick way. You know, I mean, there are, yeah. you can do it in a, in a more moderate way as well, but if, but if you really want mm -hmm. to turn things around quickly, I don't see a better approach. So anyway, um, I felt like there was a need to really flesh out all the research, the current research and put this in a, um, you know, in a usable, uh, popularized, you know, manuscript mm -hmm. that people can, can actually apply uh, either with their doctor under supervision or or um, or with themselves to help them uh, make a big impact on their their blood sugar and weight. Mm. Yeah, there's also the Lyle McDonald's protein sparing modified fast, which right. is more geared for the bodybuilders, and they're talking about like 4.4 grams of protein um, per kilogram of, of body mass, and it's like that's a massive amount of of protein when you look at how much that is, and it's just insane. So I suppose for um, you know, it's good, I think, that you've gone, well, not everybody wants to be that hardcore bodybuilder and, and can't, uh, they're not preparing for a stage show. How do we <laughs> reinterpret this for the, the, the normal person who is just managing diabetes, probably doesn't want to be that extreme, but let's let's look at a, a more moderate approach. And I sort of keep saying everything in, in nutrition in terms of weight loss and satiety is sort of uh, on the spectrum between cheesecake donuts and cookies at one extreme and then the other end it's the 
chicken and, and broccoli and, uh, you know, very, very lean right, right. with veggies. So, yeah, um, it, it's good. I think it's really good that more people are talking about that. How do you move up to that other end to prioritize protein to get the results you want? So, um, I think so. Yeah. Too. yeah. Have you have you checked out Lyle's book? I mean, how I have. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm surprised. How does it differ uh, from that sort of extreme bodybuilder approach? Right, for sure. Yeah, I, I should have mentioned him. And uh, uh, if he's watching, I apologize for not mentioning him a lot. He'll be raging in the comments on YouTube, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. For, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I actually interviewed Lyle. He's a great guy. And he's oh, uh, really? uh, very strongly opinionated, but he, um, he he's a smart guy. He's studied his he's stuff. Really he really wrong. Yeah. <laughs> He was one of the he was one of the first ones, you know, to bring uh, the ketogenic diet into you know mm. popularity too. But um, you know, the thing is, um, this is one of the the few strategies uh, that I found that can be applied to somebody who is morbidly obese and who is a super lean bodybuilder who wants to cut weight for a competition. Yeah. I mean, how, yeah. how many eating plans out there are used by those two groups of people? It's, it's, it's yeah. quite uh, astounding. Um, yeah. but Which one's the most effective for bodybuilding or morbidly obese people? And, you know, yeah, exactly. It works for both extremes. And it's just a matter yeah. of tweaking it tweaking for that for sure. situation. Yeah. So I suppose that's what you tried to do in the book, which is really great. Definitely, because you have to realize the leaner you are, um, the 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 less reserves you have to burn if you're on an energy restricted diet. So your body will then start to break down your own stored body tissue, particularly muscle, lean muscle. Mm. Um, it'll typically go through um, other. Uh, proteins first. Um, you know, it's mm. always going to be a combination. But if uh, the the research is pretty clear that if you have, you know, a fair amount of body fat, you know, mm. say twenty percent body fat or more, you're really not going to on a on a on a protein sparing eating plan like this. You're really not going to burn your own stored muscle. You're not going to you're not going to catabolize your muscle mass, your lean mass. Mm. But if you're, you know, if you're, you know, somebody who's under 12% body fat, you know, like some of these bodybuilders, mm. they've got to be really careful. If they go on an energy restricted plan to cut weight, they will start to, to burn their own mm. uh, muscle tissue. So by pushing up the protein even higher, uh, they, they can start to, you know, they can prevent that um, for the most part. But, but yeah, that's not something that I, I think is very sustainable. Uh, I'm not mm. sure how safe it is and definitely not something we recommend in the book. Like yeah, the, so you know, the, the four plus gram. I mean, people think, oh, uh, you know, eating too much protein must be easy, but it, it's not, it, you know, to, to dial right. up how much protein can you really eat? Um, and, and, you know, do you want to comment on why it gets hard? Why, why not everybody's a, a stage lean bodybuilder? Why, why does it get so hard at that point, even if you're eating as much protein as you possibly could? Yeah, especially lean protein, because it's, you know, it's, uh, it is, well, as, as you've talked about, it's pretty high on the satiety scale. So protein mm. does, um, does produce some satiety. It stimulates GLP-1 in the gut, which, mm. you know, makes us feel more full. Uh, lean protein um, also does not 
get used all that well for energy. So, mm. um, you know, this is one of the problems I have with, you know, the calorie counting. And, and I, I purposely don't, I try not to use the word calorie. I talk more about energy restriction because mm. I think there's, uh, there's just a lot of gray lines with calorie counting. You know, if you're reading a label, those calorie counts can be off quite a bit. You know, the, the, uh, the calories, many of these uh, foods, the uh, calorie count was was done, you know, in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. And those, you know, those charts have just been passed along. Mm. You know, they burn these foods in, in these bomb calorimeters mm. to try to, you know, figure out the energy output. I think mm. our metabolism is very different than that. And, and yeah. you know, we have to take that in consideration. But the, the biggest thing for me is that we don't really get four calories of energy per gram of protein. Mm. You know, um, I think that a lot of it gets wasted through the, uh, you know, uh, thermic effect of food that could be up to 25%. And then a lot of the, you know, a lot of that, of the amino acids of that protein are not going into, aren't going into metabolic energy uh, mm. cycles. They're getting used for, uh, protein, um, synthesis. They're getting used for amino acid or for, um, uh, neurotransmitter production. They're mm. getting used for detoxification, uh, they're, they're getting used for, you know, anabolic purposes, building up of the body. So, so they're not available for energy. So just to say across the board, we get four calories per gram of, of protein, I think is, uh, is, is not accurate. So, so anyway, uh, sort of an aside, but that's, uh, that's another thing about protein, the leaner, the protein, um, you know, the, not only the more satiating it is, um, but, um, you know, we, we were not getting that much energy from it. So, mm. uh, so it, it's, uh, the, I don't think the body is necessarily, uh, designed to crave super, you know, massive amounts of super lean protein. Mm. <laughs> you know, it, uh, we, we kind of get tired of it pretty quickly if you're not, yeah. you know, if, if you're, if you're not adding, uh, something to it or, or, um, you know, eating fattier cuts of, of meat. And that's really one of the things that makes this, this program different from say, a, you know, a ketogenic diet or just a low carb diet is we are trimming the fat because, mm. uh, you know, that's part of what's going to cause you to burn more stored body fat. Mm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, and definitely once you get to a, a higher protein percentage, like you say, that the body can't really metabolize that protein easily you can convert it to atp but it's a lot of work and your body just yeah. craves all of a sudden the the donuts and the right. everything that's energy dense you don't want any more chicken breasts or, or, or whatever you're trying to eat I, I love the the lean kangaroo um and enjoy that but yeah at, at at some point your body just starts craving everything energy dense and if you can avoid those foods at that point, then that's where the magic happens and you're much more satiated per calorie by the protein. Um, so you mentioned that, that the balance between protein and, and fat, a lot of the time in low-carb circles, we, we say that diabetes is a, is a condition of, you know, carbohydrate intolerance. Um, how do you describe the, the balance between, like, if we want to reverse our diabetes and, and manage blood sugars, we need to decrease dietary fat. How does that make sense? How do you explain that to people? 
Yeah, that's interesting. So it is carbohydrate intolerance in the way that, you know, when people with diabetes eat carbohydrates, typically their blood sugar goes up. So they're not tolerating those carbohydrates very well. And um, oftentimes that's due to uh, some sort of insulin signaling issue, either either they're not making enough insulin or they're insulin resistant, or there's a combination of both. So that's called relative insulin resistance. They're, mm. they're actually making plenty of insulin, but not enough to overcome the, mm. the insulin resistance. So, so their blood sugar starts climbing. And, uh, and that's, you know, really type two diabetes, sort of the foundational uh, issue at play. Um, and, you know, there's, there are actually various causes of insulin resistance, but, mm. you know, one of the main ones is lipotoxicity. So, mm. you know, our, our, uh, our, our cells become sort of inundated with free fatty acids mm. and, uh, that, uh, actually blocks the insulin signaling cascade. So if you think mm. about it, like, um, insulin, you know, often described as a key that goes into the lock that would open a door to allow glucose to get into the cell. So not every cell in the body is, is uh, insulin sensitive, um, but most are, and mm. there are different glucose channels. So, uh, you know, one of the most common on, for example, muscle cells and fat cells is called the, the GLUT4 channel. And that's an mm. insulin sensitive glucose transporter. So. Uh, it needs insulin to bind to its receptor. Um, but there is actually a cascade of reactions that happens between insulin and the GLUT4 channel opening. Mm. And that that's where fat gets in the way. So mm. the free fatty acids, also um, what are called inflammatory cytokines, like TNF-alpha and interleukin-1 mm. uh, beta, these uh, actually block that insulin cascade in a way interfere with it. So it's the key goes in the lock, but, um, but the, the channel never opens. So glucose mm -hmm. doesn't get in the cell. So that's, that's sort of what happens in insulin resistance most of the time. And there's various reasons for that. Um, uh, and we, we can talk more about it if, if we want to, but, um, but this lipotoxicity is one of the, one of the main things. So it's not necessarily fat in the diet though. So, um, people can overeat fat, uh, certainly, you know, and, and uh, you know, when, as you know, Ben says, when you combine uh, a high glucose or a high, you know, sugar diet and high carbohydrate diet and a high fat diet, mm -hmm. you're really asking for trouble because, mm -hmm. you know, there's, a, you know, something I know you've talked about, oxidative priority, mm -hmm. where, mm -hmm. you know, we tend to burn that glucose and then the fat gets absorbed in the gut, just gets stored into the uh, apocytes mm. um, until they, you know, can't do that anymore. And, and then, uh, and that's, you know, we start to, our insulin levels start to rise to, to hold the fat in and, and, um, and, and we become insulin resistant there in the, in the fat cells and then eventually in the, in the muscle and the liver. So this, um, this idea of, uh, fat and insulin resistance, I think it's misunderstood. It is, there, there is a connection for sure. And we know that elevated free fatty acids in the blood will mm. block insulin signaling, but it's not uh, always dietary fat. In fact, 
you know, we know that mm. fructose, uh, high fructose consumption, for example, mm. can drive liver fat, you know, which mm. can can cause the liver to dump uh, triglycerides and, and even free fatty acids in the bloodstream. Um, you know, when we're eating high carb, high fat, sort of what's become mm. westernized diet, uh, mm. we just have this, uh, you know, energy surplus. And that energy surplus leads to all this excess fuel floating around in our bloodstream, fat and glucose, mm. which, you know, then ends up disrupting our ability to burn those fuels and, mm. and eventually our blood sugar goes up. So, so by, by cutting the fat out of the diet, it's not that fat is bad, like, you know, mm. fat is, a, is, is, a, is an undesirable food, uh, but what it does is it decreases that energy surplus it lets us start to go into a catabolic state where we're burning more fuel, burning more energy mm. than we're actually consuming. And, uh, and then we can sort of, uh, you know, eventually get back into a, you know, back into a normal state where we have more energy storage capacity. And mm. that's really the key that, so that's what we call metabolic flexibility. Mm. When you've got more energy storage capacity, the flux is greater. So the inflow mm. of fat in and fat out of our fat cells, glucose into glycogen storage, out of glycogen storage. When that happens, um, you know, there's plenty of storage capacity and that happens easily and effortlessly. You know, now we're metabolically healthy and metabolically mm. flexible. Yeah, that's really cool. So to reverse the energy toxicity and lipotoxicity, which is your fat, overfilled in in your fat storage system you need to dial back the dietary fat it's not unlimited fat just because you don't see an increase in blood sugars or insulin in the short term from the dietary fat you need to dial back that that uh, dietary fat to allow the body fat to be drained effectively and then you become metabolically flexible your your storage sponge is sort of emptied and then you've got space to store all that fuel so your blood sugar then comes down as your body fat comes down basically yeah exactly exactly and, and it can take a while um especially mm. if you've already progressed to type 2 diabetes because once that once that fat gets built up in the liver and in the pancreas especially mm. um you know the body the body doesn't necessarily prioritize the burning of that visceral fat now if you mm. can if you can um uh, add some, some exercise, you know, different forms of mm. exercise, like high intensity interval training and, uh, resistance training to build mm. your muscle reservoir for glycogen. And you can deplete the glycogen in the liver and you can burn the fat in the liver through exercise. Uh, that will help because your body will pull that fat, um, mm. you know, from nearby to burn it. But, you know, when we're talking about just losing fat systemically, you know, the, the subcutaneous tissue, the, you know, the fat that's underneath our skin that we can kind of shake and feel, mm. that's really where the body uh, stores and burns fat from. You know, that's mm. where it takes fat to burn and puts it, you know, uh, if it can. So, uh, so to get to that visceral fat, you know, to get to that liver fat, that pancreatic fat that that drives insulin resistance and diabetes, sometimes you have to get pretty lean. Now, mm. um, I have I've had clients and patients who 
And I think there's some genetics involved here too, but I've had, I've had clients and patients who have lost, I don't know, 10% of their body weight are still significantly overweight and their blood sugar has, has dramatically improved. I've mm. also had clients and patients who, who need to get like ultra lean before their blood sugar really normalizes, mm. you know, especially that, that morning blood sugar, because that's, that's mm. tied into uh, yeah, yeah. hepatic or liver insulin resistance. So yeah. if, um, you know, that blood sugar is hanging up, you know, you know, it's just, just doesn't seem to want to come down in the morning. That's usually due to you know, that liver, that insulin resistance in the liver. There's probably still some stored fat there in the liver, and, mm. and you you might have to really push it um, to be able to get your body to burn that liver fat. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And with the data-driven fasting, we tend to see you know some people start to lose body fat quite quickly, but others, while they still get elevated blood sugars, it's like the body, due to oxidative priority, needs to work through that glucose first. So right. by delaying, and we'll talk about fasting a little bit more later, but uh, by delaying your meals a little bit more, it enables your blood sugars to drop. And then once your blood sugars drop, you can then get on with burning the body fat. And all the time, it's that that. that protein nutrient centric diet is is critical to that factor so um does anybody need to be concerned about too much protein i just i still see a lot of argy bargy backwards and forwards round and round about too much protein and you'll get rabbit starvation and yeah. um you know, you'll get ammonia toxicity and uh what about if your kidneys aren't good and uh, does anybody when should you be concerned about too much protein and, and how much how often do you see that in your real life clients. Right, right. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it would be very, very rare. Um, rabbit starvation is not something we see, you know, right, you know, in this day and age, I think with the, with the abundance of foods around us, like you mentioned earlier, if you tried to eat, you know, 98% lean uh, protein and tried to get up to, I don't know, above 50% of your mm. energy intake or caloric intake, from protein, I, I think, you know, your brain would probably drive you to, you know, the pantry to, to grab whatever food you possibly could. Yep. Uh, I think it'd be really yeah, hard to. Shop, so, you know, the, those foods are just abundant and so easily yeah. obtainable yeah. these days. But nobody's living on a field with only lean rabbits to eat. We're living in 7-Eleven right, right. Pizza Hut and everything on every corner that, you know, yeah. when you get to the point where you're, Lizard brain says, I need, the, I need the pizza, I need the donut now. It's always available. Nobody starves due to eating too much protein. Yeah, so most of the, uh, most of the original research on protein sparing modified fast uh, uses a value of about one and a half grams per kilogram of, of optimal body weight or ideal body weight. Um, that might be a good starting point for most people. I think you could probably go you know, quite a bit higher than that. The leaner mm. you are, you know, certainly the more protein you're going to need mm. to maintain your lean body mass. So mm. um, the uh, most of the research that I've seen uses a, you know, uses a high end of about three and a half grams per kilogram mm. of body weight. So, you know, as long as you're under that, I think you're fine. The, I would say the only caveat would be for people you know, in the diabetes population, there are obviously people with kidney impairment. So mm. for, for those uh, the, actually, the latest um, recommendations 
are that if you're in stage one, two, or three of kidney disease, there's no limitation on protein mm. at all. Mm. Uh, stage four, there's, you know, sort of a mild limitation. And, and it's not until you get to, you know, stage five or sort of end stage renal disease that you need to be more careful with, with protein consumption. And obviously, if you're in that stage, you're on dialysis, you're working with a uh, you know, working with a nephrologist very nephrologist. Easily. So yeah, you're probably not going to be doing a protein sparing modified fast, I would imagine. Yeah. And I've heard Ted Naiman say, you know, more protein is like resistance training for your kidneys and people with yeah. eating protein build bigger, stronger, more effective functional kidneys. So it sort of potentially staves off that end stage renal disease. So unless sure. you're I mean, the, 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 uh, need to be concerned. Yeah, Sorry. I mean the G- the GFR definitely goes up as you increase protein consumption. I mean, obviously you're you are filtering more nitrogenous waste in the kidneys, and and so the uh, the you know that's sort of a GFR is sort of the, the standard. It's a it's a calculated number based on creatinine and and, uh, yeah. and, and I think the to uh, pro, um, emphasize there, it's a eGFR. It's an estimated glucose. Estimated, right? Exactly, right. right. But it's calculated based on the creatinine in your bloodstream, which yeah. is a function of how much protein you're eating and how much muscle mass you're carrying. So any anybody with a respectable amount of lean body mass strength and eating more protein than the average bear is going to have a elevated EGFR, which is going to be concerned potentially to their doctor and they're going to say, you know, lay off the protein. But it's an estimated number that probably no need for concern at that point um yeah you, you talked about you're uh, you're getting dark over there mate yeah i know i'm trying to uh, trying to turn on some lights here <laughs> <laughs> Mood lighting. I, I didn't didn't think about that <laughs> try to put my computer on here <laughs> yeah so um so you talked about you don't really like uh, a liquid formula diet. There've been a lot of, you know, and people use protein powders in, in this, you know, why, why is nutrient density that you talk about in the book and whole foods critical to a um, effective protein spray modified fast pro- uh, focused diet? I know the Mayo Clinic, they had a great research paper on the protein spraying modified fast and, one of the conclusions was that, you know, whole foods was critical to maintaining over the long term and people learning how to to cook and prepare whole real foods that look like food. It wasn't just a shake diet that they were going to go on for 50 days and then go, yeah, I I didn't learn anything about the way I eat and prepare food and how I shop and I'm just going to revert to how I ate before after this short-term gimmick thing. Yeah, so I think there's two things that are critical to maintaining weight loss, because that's that's always been the knock on the protein sparing modified fast or any, you know, any calorie or energy restricted eating plan is that um, even if it does work, the results don't last. And, and that is true, I, you know, for the most part, I mean, if you look at the data, uh, most people do gain weight back, uh, even mm. proteins very modified fast research, but there there have been a few exceptions. And mm. so the exceptions are uh, number one, real food. Um, if mm. you're eating real food as opposed to shakes, you know, liquid, um, you know, li- you know, liquid uh, formulations, that type of thing, bars, you know, soups, that kind of thing that you see sometimes in these programs. So if you're eating real food, 
uh, it's going to be number one. I think it's more satisfying, um, and you also learn there. You know, there is a learning process. You're mm. learning to eat, and so mm. I find that people who do this with real food can sustain it for very long periods of time. Mm. I mean, I, mm. I usually recommend like a six to eight week period, um, and then taking mm. a little break, but. Uh, there have been people who have gone six months, 12 months and longer uh, on, a, on a sustained energy restricted diet, eating real food. So I think that's possible. I think you're also getting things from real food that are sometimes mm. hard to quantify and put into a shake. You know, uh, mm. you know, the more we learn and, and you've done an amazing job, obviously, cataloging uh, nutrients. But even that, you know. Mm we don't list out all the flavonoids and, and mm. uh, you know, all the other things that come in, in real food that uh, we don't necessarily get in a protein shake. And um, you know, there's, there's been a few research studies on the importance of, of um, you know, some of these phytonutrients with glycemic mm. control and, and so forth. So I'm mm. not sure, I'm not sure, you know, how important that is for weight loss. Um, but, you know, certainly, you know, if we're going to say that nutrient density is important, you know, probably some of these um, non-essential or, you know, uh, you know, other other plant compounds that we don't know that much about have some value of importance um, as mm -hmm. well. So anyway, I think that's part of it. Uh, the other piece is keeping protein high. So what mm. a lot of the early protein sparing modified fasts did is right at the end of the program, they just dropped their protein down to a standard diet, which was, you know, more like 0.8 grams or 0.7 grams wow. per kilo. And it didn't and work anymore. What's that? And it didn't work anymore. <laughs> it didn't work anymore, right? And <laughs> you know, so, so they upped the carbohydrates, they lowered the protein, put them back on like a, I don't know, you know, like a 60, you know, 20, uh, 60, 20, 20 diet, something like that. And, and right, the people just gain the weight back, of course. So, mm. so I think maintaining uh, adequate, I would call it adequate, you know, some, mm. you, some people might call it, um, you know, higher levels of protein, but maintaining protein levels that are, are you know, in this 1.5 to 2 grams of, of, of protein per kilo is really important even after the weight loss to maintain the weight loss. But yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the things we know that uh, I'm not against protein powders. I think they have a place, you know, especially for yeah. busy people. Uh, if somebody's a vegan and trying to do this and, you know, they're trying to figure out a way to get protein in, I think there's some some value to them. But you're not going to get this satiety with a protein powder that you're going to get with, you know, lean white fish or chicken breast or even, you know, even steak, certainly. So um, it's definitely inferior. Yeah. Plus, it's a processed refined food. So, you know, it's always best to go with a, uh, you know, real food. And, and, and the, the research backs that up. And we definitely see yeah. better results with real food. Yeah, it's basically a pre-processed food, so your body doesn't have to spend as much energy to metabolize it into ATP if it needed to, and the, so the satiety value um, is much lower. When we looked at the satiety analysis, it, it wasn't just protein; it was protein and fiber, and and definitely the That's biggest correlation to satiety is not just 
protein percentage, but dietary-induced thermogenesis, so which is that right. protein and fiber together. So the less processed, your pre-processed foods um, your, your diet is, the, the more satiety you're going to get. So the more natural, basically, it is, the more effort your body has to go through and the, and the less it's going to go, give me more of that food, I can have unlimited amounts. And you look at the, the Kevin Hall studies with the ultra-processed food, you eat the same calories, same macros, and your body yields so much more energy from that and builds um, more body fat from that same amount of calories if you put that food into a bomb calorimeter. So, yeah, it's really that the, cool. the, the focus on whole foods is incredible. And I think you mentioned in the book the um, the last chance diet from the 70s, which was just collagen shake, which people literally died yeah. from that. And that's where Lyle McDonald focuses on actually get your multivitamin and your, your fish oil if you're going to go on this extreme a high protein diet, but definitely a, a, a protein focused, nutrient dense whole food diet is just a no brainer, the best thing. But it's a, it's a it's a big transition from what most people eat in the Western world today, when they're just addicted to convenience foods and Uber Eats and a Seven Eleven on every corner, and you know, very few people actually prepare their own food and buy whole food. Unfortunately, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well. You know, people want to make it easy, but honestly, uh, you know, eating protein and vegetables is is pretty easy. You know, I think if it, you don't have to make it complicated, it's pretty simple. Yeah, so I think uh, if you can uh, if you can make it more simple, and uh, and just you know keep it to good quality protein, lots and lots of fibrous veggies, um, and you know minimize the fats for this program uh, at least to to burn more body fat to cut fat and to reverse or, or at least improve glycemic control, um, I think uh, I think the simpler the better. So is there a role for supplements potentially if you can't get all whole food or is that that might be a compromise in insurance? Yeah, I would say it's a compromise. I, I think, um, you know, the supplement recommendations that I have in the book, I stuck largely with what was initially recommended by uh, doctors Bistrian and Blackburn from you know the original program, uh, they uh, found mm. that um, there were some issues with uric acid um, production, uh, and um, there was a they did find you know an omega three uh, deficiency mm. in in some of their early uh, studies. So they you know they added well. Um, they they mainly added the multivitamin and some electrolytes. Uh, Lyle McDonald, mm. I think, is the one who who, who re ended up recommending uh, fish oil. So I, I think those three are, are a good idea. Um, you know, if you're mm. doing a wide spectrum of fibrous veggies and you know good quality proteins, probably don't need the multivitamin as much. I would say, but. Um, um, and and, uh, and you can eat salmon, you know, on this program. So you can get omega threes. I do recommend wild caught salmon, which is a little bit leaner, but um, but you're still getting you're still getting a good bolus of omega three there. So so you could probably do it without supplements, but uh, but those three I just recommended um, mainly because they've they've uh, sort of been included in protein sparing modified fast diets over the years for various yeah, reasons. Yeah. Salmon's great for omega three, but when you get to the leaner fish like tuna and tilapia or whatever, yeah, it, it's 
lower fat and therefore lower omega-3. So it's surprising how little omega-3 some of those really lean fish sources actually have. So that, I suppose that's where you need to, once you get to a, a more ideal weight, you can maybe back off the intensity of your protein percentage to make sure you can get that omega-3 fat. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. To segue from there, you talk about a moderate, accelerated and aggressive um, approach. Who do you recommend, you know, going hardcore aggressive versus moderate versus um, accelerated? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, I wanted Everybody to... Everybody wants fast right? weight loss. I want it tomorrow. <laughs> right, right, for Fits sure. to me now. What do I have to do? Is, is that yeah. a good approach for everyone? Well, I, th I think um, if, if you're obese, certainly you've got a little bit more flexibility there because you've got more body fat storage to burn through, you know, before you were to, you know, would start to burn through your, um, you start to catabolize your own lean muscle mass. So, so I, I did it based on uh, several things. The main thing really is body fat percentage. So if you're, uh, if you're a little bit leaner, I, I generally, even though, um, the rapid fat loss Lyle McDonald's program is, is used by very lean bodybuilders. I generally don't recommend doing this program if you're under 15% body fat. Mm. Um, just, I think from a, if you are going to do it, I think it's best, you know, to have some supervision um, mm. or, you know, at least work with a dietitian or nutritionist or somebody who can sort of monitor you. But um but anybody who's above that, I think, can do it. And then we we break it down into these three levels. So, you know, like fifth, you know, the uh, uh, if you're a male, fifteen to twenty percent body fat, uh, you can do it. But I recommend keeping your carbs and fat a little bit higher because you don't mm -hmm. have as you know you don't have as much um, stored body fat. So we don't want to go into that. A level of energy deficiency necessarily. So, so we generally recommend about 40 to 50 grams of carbs, maybe a little lower would be fine. A 40 to 50 grams of fat. If you're, you know, already fairly, you know, lean in that 15 to 20% range. Um, if you're uh, you know, in the more than 20 to 25% range, then cutting that a little bit. So more like 30 to 40 grams of each. And then if, if you're, uh, you know, over 25% body fat, then I think you can be as aggressive as you want to be. Mm. Now, not everybody wants to be aggressive. You also have to look at sustainability with this. So if this, uh, you know, if going on, for example, 20 grams of carbs and 20 to 30 grams of fat per day is, uh, is going to send you off the rails and it's just, you know, mm. sort of mentally impossible for you to do. There's then, a risk of binging, you rebound binging. They need to find that balance. Right. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. But um, but I think it's safe for people who, you know, have a you know have that sort of uh, you know higher level of body fat. They've mm. got plenty of body fat stores, um, and it is designed for people who have type two diabetes. So mm. you know, there's not really a risk there. Uh, the other thing is medications. You know, you're if you're on insulin, for example, uh, mm. as a type two diabetic, and you've got dysglycemia where your blood sugar sort of is up and down and all over the place, you definitely want to be a bit careful. Same thing with blood pressure. If you're on blood pressure mm. medication, 
<clears throat> your insulin levels will typically drop very quickly on this program because mm. you're in such an energy deficient state and yeah. um you know at your body just you know, once you get into that you are really yeah. in a fasted state even yeah. even while you're eating so you know your body yeah. starts uh you know, going into ketogenic you know, ketogenesis and your insulin levels drop and all that. So if you're, you know, if you're on insulin or an insulin producing medication, uh, you definitely have to be a little bit more careful, uh, probably mm. want to be supervised, but, um, mm. but you know, those are, those are the three. So we call it, you know, um, you know, level one, two, and three, there's, there's, uh, you know, more information in that, in the book about mm. that, but, uh, basically it's just how aggressive you want to be with the energy restriction. Yeah, so you talk. It, it, it's called the Pro Fast book. You, you there's a fair bit about fasting as well. Why do you bother with the protein and just not fast for two months to get the weight off? <laughs> and, and how long is too long for fasting? Yeah, so I uh, I don't have anything against fasting um, short term. I think uh, time restricted eating can be a really powerful strategy. You know, that sort of you know within a let me turn that back on. That's sort of within a, uh, it just went dark. Uh, give me one second here. That's within a 24 hour, you know, window. Um, see if it comes back on there. Uh, sorry, Marty. Hang on one second. You've gone dark. I've gone dark. <laughs> <laughs> there I've we go. The, Should be back. The, we'll be back. <laughs> um, so... Uh, you know, time restricted, you know, eating, having uh, a restricted eating window, doing either early time restricted eating where you're you're eating earlier in the day and then uh, starting your fast in the early or mid afternoon. That can be a really effective strategy for people who want to burn more fat and, and want to go into sort of a mild energy restriction. Mm. Um you know, I think up to 24-hour fasting for most people is 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 fine. Um, past that, you re, you know, you're now you're in total glycogen depletion, mm. and um, you are going to start to catabolize muscle tissue after that. Mm. I mean, the research is pretty clear. Not a ton yet. We do release adrenaline, and mm. um, you know, there is some. Uh, you know, muscle preservation that happens, but you are going to metabolize some lean muscle, especially mm. as you get deeper into a, you know, a pure water fast. If you're talking mm. about doing a five, eight, 10 day water fast, um, you do, you know, you, as you shift into um, ketosis, you are going to preserve glucose, you are going to preserve protein, mm. but you're still burning some some lean body mass. So mm -hmm. the whole purpose of the protein sparing modified fast is to um, keep your protein levels, your protein consumption, your amino acids that are coming into your body adequate so mm -hmm. you don't dip into your lean body mass. Because mm -hmm. um, once you lose your lean body mass, your metabolic rate slows and, and all right. you want to do the end of the fast is eat and probably the last thing you want to do is go on the the, the chicken breast and broccoli and and you, you're just going to rebuild other things other than your lean body mass at that point so yeah it becomes really hard when you fast and fast and fast and then don't rebuild 
what you need to. So I think the protein spray modified fast sort of balances the need for fasting and protein and finds that nice sweet spot between those two extremes. Yeah, and you're still going to upregulate autophagy. You know, not not as much. Um, you're mm. you're not going to get as much uh, downregulation of mTOR and upregulation of an autophagy as you would on a water fast or on a, a low protein fast. But mm. you're still upregulating autophagy. You're still that's you know the kind of the recycling of mm. of, of cellular debris and, and proteins and things like that. So you're that's still happening on a calorie restricted diet. You know, on mm. an energy restricted diet. So you're still getting those benefits. Um, and you will get you will get some uh, slowing of the metabolic rate on energy on on any energy restricted eating program, but mm. it's temporary on mm. a protein sparing modified fast because what you said you're not losing lean body mass. Mm. When you lose lean body mass, so if you were to if you were to fast for ten or fourteen days, or even just slash calories while maintaining your sort of the standard American or Western diet macros. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. let's say your protein consumption comes way down because you've taken your total food consumption way down, but you're eating the same thing. Uh, what's happening there is, as you mentioned, you know, now we're catabolizing or breaking down lean body mass. Our metabolic rate is slowing down temporarily and permanently because mm -hmm. Um, mm. once you start eating normally again, you're going to get a little bump in metabolic rate, but now you've lost all that muscle. Mm. And so you've lost, you know, all that, uh, ability to burn glucose. You've lost that uh, glycogen storage capacity. You've lost that, um, you know, that component of your mm. resting metabolic rate. So, so I think the, um, you know, sometimes there's confusion. If I cut my calories or I cut my energy, is it my metabolism going to slow down? It will for sure, but it'll be temporary if you mm. keep your protein consumption high. Once you start mm. eating again, so once you, you know, when we transition people out of this, we keep the protein, you know, up pretty high, uh, and, you know, it's just as high as it is during the, during the plan. We, then we start to raise fat consumption levels, carbs a little bit. And then the metabolic rate just comes right back up. So, you know, within a few days. Um, so you don't, you don't see that weight gain that you would see if you just went from a thousand calorie, you know, standard American diet to all of a sudden, you know, going back and eating 2,500, 3,000 calories again on a slower metabolism, you're just going to gain a bunch of weight. That's, you know, that's the yo-yo dieting thing that happens when people try to just cut calories when you lose your lean body mass, your body goes into emergency rebound mode to, to build back that muscle. Cause if you lose too much muscle, you're dead basically. So you need right. to just prioritize eating anything and everything you can to rebuild that muscle at that point. Sure. So yeah, we talk about tracking, not just your weight, but your waist and your, your body fat. So you make sure you're not losing that lean body mass. Cause you know, you might not be losing a lot of weight, but if you're losing body fat and gaining lean mass because a lot of people as they start to eat more protein they actually build lean mass especially if they come from a very low base Absolutely. it's incredible Just, you know, no resistance training no extra exercise but as they go from 60 grams to 120 grams of protein a day they build this lean body mass and feel energized and fantastic so um 
are they probably the top three markers you'd track? You talk about a lot of different markers you could track if you really wanted to analyze it, but I mean, weight, body fat, your waist, are they the, the critical things? What else would you track? Yeah, you know? for sure, for sure. I mean, I, I like that uh, waist-to-height ratio um, or waist-to-stature mm. ratio. I think that mm. is a good marker. It's, it tracks pretty well with metabolic syndrome and uh, insulin resistance. So, you know, we know that people who have bigger girth um, compared to their height will oftentimes, you know, it, it equates with visceral fat storage, which equates mm. to metabolic syndrome. So I think measuring, you want to keep that at, at 0.5 or less. So mm. you divide your, uh, you know, your, your uh, girth, your waist by your height, and it should be half, you know, it should be 0.5 mm. or less, probably better to be like 0.45 or less, but uh, mm. certainly under, under 0.5. Um, and so there's some interesting studies actually on uh, South Asian populations and uh, how they have this increased this increased sort of genetic propensity to store fat viscerally as opposed mm. to subcutaneously, and and so that's that kind of factors into you know what has become known mm. as personal fat threshold is mm. this um, uh, this what's sometimes called in in the literature. Uh, this adipose overflow, um, mm. where the subcutaneous tissues get filled up, and um, you know, genetically, some people don't store as much fat there, so they start mm. uh, storing it in their organs and in their muscles, which which you mm. know leads to metabolic issues. So I think um, you know, and particularly uh, in South Asian populations. It's the lack of storing adipose in the legs, actually. That's the that's the big one. So, um, so when you measure the you know when you measure the waist, yes, you're getting some some of the subcutaneous tissue there also, but <clears throat> you can really tell that someone is you know more that apple shape and storing more fat in that area than in their, for example, in their hips and thighs and, and lower body which um, is more common in, in, you know, Caucasian populations and even some Asian populations like in China, they don't seem to have as much of that. It really seems to be South Asia. So, um, so that's interesting, but, um, but yeah, I, I think going back to the measurements, uh, the, the, uh, the weight to height ratio, weight in general, I mean, if you're overweight, just tracking that uh, in conjunction with your waist to height ratio, I think mm -hmm. is important. And, and uh, yeah, if you have the ability to, test body fat i'm not a big fan of like impedance bioimpedance scales or calipers but a lot of gyms now have these bod pods you know where you can yep. get in and, and do a uh you know do, do um a calculation that tracks pretty well with hydrostatic weighing mm -hmm. and um and, and get a you know pretty pretty accurate picture of body fat percentage mm -hmm. yeah so to just to circle back on the the south south asian population they may need to get to a lower waist to height ratio than a caucasian population to be below right. their personal fat threshold to see waking blood sugars that are in the healthy range maybe below 100 milligrams per deciliter or 5.6 millimoles so yeah mm -hmm. to find your personal fat threshold you just need to keep losing weight until your waking blood glucose is at a, a healthy level and that's your personal fat threshold really it's uh yeah and that's sure. your, weight, your personal fat threshold 
Um, yeah, I, I for, like how uh, I like how simple you've made that, and really, it is uh, looking at the. Yeah. Um, so, what what sort of symptoms should people be prepared for, for when they uh, start to lose weight on a, this sort of approach? Can you see me, Marty? Okay, there we go. Yeah, yeah go. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, I should have put it on uh, airplane. I got a call and kind of knocked me off there for a second. Um, so I missed that a little bit. Did you say what kind of symptoms? Yeah, what sort of symptoms? What what uh, side effects should people be prepared for as they start to lose weight rapidly on a protein sparing modified fast or your ProFast program? Yeah, so I, you know, I think um, signs and symptoms. Um, you know, as far as uh, symptoms go, which is you know, uh, signs and symptoms are a little different. We kind of clump mm. them together, but signs are things we can measure. Symptoms, things that we feel. So, so mm. symptoms would be, um, uh, you know, the, the first couple of days are going to be are going to be difficult. There's, um, you know, there's uh, habitual eating patterns that um, we talk, we actually talk in the book a little bit about the different types of hunger. And mm. so there's, you know, there's habitual hunger, there's this hedonic hunger, which mm. is, is sort of just this desire to eat. You know, it's not mm. really true hunger. I think as long as you keep your protein and, and uh, uh, nutrient density high, you're you're really not going to get truly hungry because you're getting plenty of nutrients you're getting plenty of nutrition but you are going to feel like you want to eat something mm. else because you know you're just not used to it so i would say be prepared for a few days of that i usually find that that fades within 3 to 4 days yep. and anybody who's done a you know any long term fasting this is true for for fasting as well usually you know you you lose that sort of uh ravenous hunger that you feel after you know a couple of days it's not as it's not as pronounced as you know trying to do like a water fast um you know because you are eating so mm -hmm. but um the other thing is there is a little bit of boredom with this eating plan so you've kind of got to get your head wrapped around that to begin with um if you're used to eating just a wide variety of foods and snacking on nuts and you know, eating rich sauces, you know, with your meats and, you know, dumping, you know, olive oil on your salad and things like that. You're going to have to get used to a little bit more of a restricted diet. So, so there is that sort of mental component also. Food um, is not entertainment anymore. It's, you know, nutrition yeah, exactly. your body and giving it right. what it needs. Yeah, and just, you know, I, I always encourage people to remember that this is not meant to be a, a lifestyle strategy. You know, you're not doing a protein sparing modified fast for the rest of your life. This is a therapeutic eating plan to help you get out of energy toxicity, out mm. of energy surplus, um, get into a state where you're more metabolically healthy, metabolically flexible, and then you can start to add some more energy. Yeah. So um, to, to try, I'm sorry, go on. The biggest signs. Yep, gotcha. Oh. Yep, sorry about that. Um, can you hear me now? Yep, gotcha. Okay, so some of the biggest signs are going to be lower blood sugar and lower blood pressure. So, um, and also, you're going to dump fluid early in the process too. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be, you know, you're going to be going to the bathroom a lot more. 
uh, you're going to notice that you're not as puffy and you're going to, your blood sugar is going to come down. So this is why if you're on insulin on medications, you got to be a little bit cautious. If you're on blood pressure medication, your blood pressure can, can drop. It's not going to drop too low naturally, but if you're taking blood pressure medication, that could suppress it to a, you know, a, uh, a hypotensive state or a hypoglycemic state in, in, in the case of blood sugar, if you're not careful. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. So, so to wrap it up, yeah. um, what, what, uh, what should people avoid if they want to follow this approach and what foods should they prioritize? What's that like top five on each extreme? What would you avoid and what would you prioritize? Yeah. So, so to me, this is taking, um, I'll just use it because I know you've talked a lot about it. It's taking like the, the PE diet, the Ted Naiman diet, sort of to the extreme. So mm. it's it's eating, um, you know, foods that are really high on the on the protein to energy ratio, you know, the scale. So you're you're eating uh, lots of lean proteins. So things like chicken breast, white fish, seafood. As I mentioned, you can eat salmon, but you want to try to choose leaner salmon, like wild-caught salmon tends to be a little bit leaner. You mm. can eat steak uh, or even even hamburger, but you mm. want it to be, you know, the lean at part. the high end of the lean spectrum, certainly. Mm. Yeah. Uh, bison would be fine. Uh, wild game would be good. Um, you can eat pretty much any bird um, as long as you're eating the, the leaner parts of the bird. Um you know, pork is tough. You could do pork loin, but I wouldn't do, you know, sort of fattier cuts of pork. Um, you can eat eggs, but uh, we do recommend uh, limiting the yolk. So like half, um, you know, one yolk per two eggs uh, seems to keep the PE ratio pretty good. So, so those types of things. And then lots of fibrous, low energy, uh, you know, uh, high nutrient density vegetables, you know, are great. So all your leafy mm. greens, broccoli, cauliflower, salad, greens, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, bell peppers and uh, tomatoes and all that, th those are all fine. You know, you're, you're not getting a huge energy yield from those uh, vegetables. Mm. Um, probably want to be careful or avoid starchy veggies, nuts and seeds because of the fat content we have to limit or avoid completely. And, um, you know, certainly grains, uh, most dairy products uh, you want to eliminate in, unless it's a sort of uh, low fat Greek yogurt, cottage mm. cheese, something like that, mm. that would be fine. Mm. You know, the higher protein, lower fat uh, dairy products. So it takes a little bit of uh, adjustment if you're used to eating sort of a low carb more keto style diet. Mm because you are you know you are purposely going for leaner meats you are purposely going you know for lower fat foods and that seems almost sacrilegious for people coming from the you know keto and low carb community yeah. but, um, I went again, through that once you believe that it's a free food because it doesn't raise insulin. It's like, ah, oh, it's like you believe that and you've, you've, your brain said, I love those foods. This is the best way of eating, but it's not working for me. But to dial back the dietary fat is like, ah, oh, it's, it's a real unlearning process. So, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, when you get into the maintenance phase, as you come out of it, whether that's after six or eight weeks or, um, you know, whether that's at, you know, when you reach your ultimate goals, your, 
your fasting blood sugar comes down to under 100 or, or at least, you know, into the normal range, or uh, you've, lo you've lost the weight that you want to lose, then, um, then you can start bringing back in more fat. You know, I, I still don't recommend adding fats for no reason. So we don't recommend dumping, you know, refined oils mm. onto our foods, you know, just to, just to increase the fat, but, uh, but you can certainly bring back in, uh, you know, fattier cuts of meat, you know, uh, hamburger that's, you know, nor more normal ratio, 70, 30 mm. or 80, 20. Um, and, uh, and you don't have to be fearful of fat. I think once you've mm. built metabolic flexibility, you have a larger fat depot, you've got mm. greater fat flux, um, in and out of the, the store, you know, the fat storage, then, uh, you have a, a greater capacity to eat fat without it causing problems. Yeah. Cool. Hey, this has been really awesome. I'm looking forward to, I've read the book and it's really great. Um, when does it come out? That's what everybody's wanting to know right now. And how can they get it? Yeah, so it'll be out in uh, late May or early June, and um, you can just uh, check out theprofastdiet.com. Um, cool. I'll get you some information as it comes a little yep. bit closer. That website's not up yet, so if you're watching this, uh, you know, anytime before May, probably uh, don't go there quite yet, but keep it in the back of your mind. And, um, yep. you know, I'd love to get, uh, I'd love to get the feedback from your community because you have mm. an incredible army of well-educated, smart, uh, and, um, you know, committed, uh, people who, who, you know, know their stuff. And, and uh, mm. I love watching the comments on some of your posts and, and the material that you put out is literally second to none. I mean, really oh, wow. the, the best information out there. So I, I appreciate you and your community for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and I hear you need some really good recipe books that are nutrient dense and uh, whole food to go with the uh, yeah. fast diet. So yeah, we'll uh, keep talking about that. Oh, for maybe. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at designing the, well, uh, the I apologize for the uh, approaches. Yeah, your uh, your recipes are uh, fantastic. So that you know the PE recipes and and protein sparing modified fast recipes and and any of the nutrient dense you know more energy restricted recipes are perfect. So mm, great resource. Yeah, yeah. Really align really well. Thank you so much for your time. It's been really really cool to chat and great to interrogate you this time and um you've definitely said all the right things and everything i wanted to hear <laughs> really enjoyed the chat. so it's great to continue the friendship and um, look forward to continuing that in the future thanks brian yeah sorry about the uh video quality i know the sun went down on our conversation here so i hope it wasn't too uh distracting for everybody watching <laughs> that's good thanks everyone for watching we'll, we'll catch you later thanks bye